Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are getting reunited. I took a little break from the show just in... I don't know, just because we're living in such a crazy, crazy time, I feel like, and I I definitely needed a timeout and felt like I needed to honor that and take a pause and just come back, I guess, just refreshed and with with more perspective, because I just feel like so much was happening at one time and continues to happen that I wanted to take a timeout, so... But I'm I'm happy to be back. I'm so happy that you're back. Glad to take a look. I think we're going to take a look at the books that we've been reading over the last year. I mean, half the year and see if there are any highlights or anything. Um, my reading took a big hit, I think, for the first two months of the pandemic. I was just basically in, I don't know, I just, I feel like maybe I just read too much news or... I just didn't have the focus for reading, but I read this really kind of trashy horror novel that got me, that kind of primed the <laughs> pump and got me back into it. So I'll tell you which one that is. Good. Yeah, I think I think a lot of us have gone through that, and you know, in some of the shows that with the guests that came on while you were gone, and we talked a lot about this, just the inability to focus, and just the fact that we've all been so distracted, and and also just that our attention is being pulled in so many directions. Yeah, I think it's sort of post-traumatic stress disorder. Like, I would not go so far as to say I was depressed because I was still functioning. But I think that there was definitely a a certain kind of malaise that comes along when you, I don't know, it was like, it's like, it was Groundhog mm-hmm. Day. And I think things have loosened up a little bit. So not every day is quite the same. But for about three months, it was... Basically, just leaving the apartment for the essentials, feeling so lucky that I was one of the people who only had to leave and go out if I needed to shop or get essentials. But basically, waking up and being at my computer most of the day working and having those boundaries sort of blurred, you know, in the beginning, I think it was kind of fun or you felt more focused and you could knock things out. But then it quickly became, okay, so this is what I do. And there was just no distinction between anything. And I think it took a while definitely to to get systems into place even, you know, because I have a small apartment to just say, okay, this is the corner where I do work and getting to the point where at a certain time, I just closed down my work laptop and just would not open it. And that was you know, I am, I am now home. (laughs) Yeah. The demarcation in the day. When do you, when do you quote unquote leave the office? (laughs) And I think that that contributed to me reading less as well, because I think a lot of my reading was jumpstarted by having that time, that uninterrupted time in transit, where if I was going to be on a train for 10 or 15 minutes, I would have that time to read a book and really get into it and then want to continue it later on. But when you don't have that, when I didn't have that forced time, it was like there was no time when I knew that I was definitely going to read a book and get into a story. So I, so I didn't even have it to go 
you know, to turn to later on because I hadn't made that space for it. So yeah, a lot of it is about kind of developing these psychological boundaries to help when you are living in, in one space and that one space has become everything. I think that's definitely true. No travel also. Like for me, work travel was a time that I would read, get on an airplane, you know, maybe be in a hotel room and that's been off the table since February. So that took out a big chunk of reading opportunity for me too. Right. And mine would be traveling to meet friends after work. You know, I would have that extra travel time where I would be reading, you know, going to meet people and coming home after. And there's just so much activity that I think I've realized that my reading has kind of built off certain things, you know, whether just picking up something from the store, running an errand at the post office, you know, all these places where you sort of read, mm-hmm. have a minute to read in line that were no longer there anymore because either those things were closed or you weren't doing them or, you know, you were grocery shopping once or twice a week or not even doing that and getting things delivered. Right. So. All right. Well, let's talk about what we've each been reading this. um, I don't think I've, you know, been terribly regular about reporting it. So I'm kind of psyched to get back in the habit of, you know, at least sharing the recent reads. And then let's take a look back on the last six months and what, what has stood out. So what have you been reading recently? So let's see, I recently read, um, I read The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. And um, oh, I'm reading that now. Well, maybe we should wait and discuss that when you finish. Um, Because I definitely have thoughts on it. Um, I liked it. I didn't love it. I had some issues with the plot structure. So why don't we we table Hmm. that until our next show so that you and I could actually talk about something we've read together. Okay. Um, But I found it um, definitely like engrossing. Like it, it kept my attention, which was good. And the other one I was reading kind of around the same time was All Adults Here by Emma Straub, which I found to be pretty forgettable. Like it didn't, I don't know, the characters didn't leave that much of an impact. Um, I found like it was too, it was not the right book for pandemic reading. It was too light. Like the issues that the characters were facing mm-hmm. felt, you know, I, I was thinking like this book. I can imagine the marketing plans for this book that they rolled out in like February and how it was going to be sort of a beach bag read. And it would be, you know, this family living in this idyllic town and, you know, dealing with sort of stresses and tensions within the family and kind of how they all overcame them. And it all tied up kind of patly and neatly. And I thought this is just for me was not the right book right now. Like it just felt a little too easy. Um, not in terms of like the quality of the writing. I'm just saying easy, like the resolutions felt too easy. So that one was kind of disappointing. Um, the one that I just finished that I really liked, and you're, you'll laugh because I think the last time we recorded, I told you I was going to read it and I just read it. But it was In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. And I finally got to that. I've had that mm-hmm. library book checked out for like four months. And now you can finally return books to the library. So I'm like, okay, I got to start going through some of these library books. And I thought that was great. Um, I just finished that one today. And um, that this is a book about uh, a woman living or in a relationship with her girlfriend. And her girlfriend is abusive. She's emotionally abusive. And it's all about that relationship and sort of how she ended up in it and 
why she stayed in it and the abuse and how she got over it. But it's told in a very creative way where each chapter sort of re-envisions this dream house. The dream house is the house that she stayed in with the girlfriend. They were living long, they were dating long distance and she would. And sort of representative of their relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The house is their relationship and the dream house is sort of the perfect relationship, but the reality is this very traumatic abuse and it's just, it's very, um, creative and interesting and I just thought it was really good. So that was one that I it just was. Wished. I really like the way that she related a lot of it to lit- um movie criticism mm-hmm. and folk literature. Like movie criticism, folk literature and everything references like each of her chapters she'll have references for for d- different types of abuse that happen and you wonder like is there some big dictionary of abuse out there that that has all of these things or you know she would footnote see dreams about this where it would relate back to to abuse but she's just talking about the different facets of yeah. the relationship i thought that was that was really i mean i like that on so many levels i liked how she got into the court system and how court structures movies don't recognize mm-hmm. like lesbian lesbian relationships or the the aspect of women doing damage to each other right like you kind of need a woman to be the victim but not the aggressor for the court to sort of recognize this as what they traditionally see as domestic abuse yeah i thought that part was really interesting and yeah i i really liked it uh i'm glad that i you know picked it picked it up i'm glad that i sort of had that deadline of the library reopening to just to get me to take it off the shelf. Um, so I'm also doing on audio and I'm, I don't know, I'm going very back and forth on this. I'm not sure what made me decide to do it, but I'm doing untamed by Glennon Doyle. I never read her last book. I never followed her blog. I didn't really know much about her. And I don't know. I think I swapped for this and now I'm doing it on audio and I, I don't know. It's, there's some chapters of it. I really like, and some of it I'm just, I, it's very repetitive and a little bit too self-helpy for me, but uh, I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I guess I'm glad I'm reading it. I'll have to wait till I'm done and then I have it <laughs> and then I'll have a, a good idea of whether it was worth it or not. Um, this is the story of it's a memoir about a woman who uh, she had written, she had a, a parenting blog, a mom blog, and she had written a, a book couple years ago, a memoir about her marriage and saving her marriage with her husband who had been unfaithful to her. And she had all kinds of addiction issues. And it was kind of about how she emerged out of this. It's called Love Warrior. She emerged out of it strong. And it actually was interesting. It became sort of a Christian, um, like a Christian sensation because it was about kind of recommitting to faith and recommitting to marriage and not leaving a family and all of this. And she goes on the book tour or she's about to go on the book tour for that book. And she falls in love with a woman. She meets this woman, falls in love with her at, you know, at at first sight. And so untamed is about that process of kind of shedding all the expectations that were on her and these constructs and things that she felt she had to do as a woman and then pursuing her true, her true feelings and leaving her husband and marrying the woman who is Abby Wambach, the soccer player. 
So I'm not inter- I'm not really Ooh. interested in reading Love Warrior, especially now that I know that it's kind of not true because it didn't stick. Um, but I was really interested in the right. Lombach side of it and that idea of kind of, you know, at age 40, realizing that you're very different inside than you've kind of ever always admitted yourself to be. So that part of it I like. I The, the parts that, that are kind of reminiscent, I think, of Love Warrior about, like, the self-help, like, empowerment stuff, that I, I feel like it could have been maybe a little shorter. But anyway, I'm about halfway done with that. And it could be shorter could be already. Shorter. All right. So tell me about you. What's the book that got you back in and what else have you been reading? Okay. So the book that got me back in. Okay. So first of all, my book club continued to meet. My in-life book club continued to meet on Mm -hmm. Zoom as, you know, everyone's life moved to Zoom. And I think the book that we were going to meet read was the Samantha Irby Mm -hmm. book. I think, wow, thank you, no, or something like that. But I was just in such a state that I could not, like, I just, I think I read two pages and just didn't, didn't read it. So it came up that I was just having a lot of a hard time focusing on anything. So we decided to choose something light. And then one of our members had read this book called The Return that I think maybe she had known the author. I'm not quite sure what the story was, but she had read it before, I guess, she had read it pre-pub and so she recommended it and I read that and it was, it was, it's kind of this horror novel about this group of friends, you know, this uh, group of friends, one, um, I don't know, they seem like, you know how in friendships, not everyone has the same level of friendship. So she's really good friends with this woman who goes missing and who is missing for two years. And then she shows up again mysteriously and the four friends decide to reconnect and they go away on this trip, but things are happening with the friend, you know, things seem kind of off. Like she looks one way in a certain light and she used to be a vegetarian and now she's like this rabid meat eater. (laughs) I had a feeling right away that I knew where you know, what the, what the mystery was going to be and where this was going or whatever. But I can't say that it was deeply written, the friendships between the four of them. Like there are some references to college, but I kind of felt like all of the friends were pretty much plug and play. You know, Mm. you had like the Asian one who had been adopted by a white family in Texas and was she a cancer survivor? And then there was like one who was missing a leg. I don't know. The group of friends (laughs) just seemed rather like (laughs) this needs to be diverse or whatever. So like one is going to be handicapped and one is going to be sort of a model minority raised by this Southern, this wealthy Southern family, but she's a lesbian and she hides it. And, you know, I don't know, but it got me reading. You know what yeah. I mean? I think it was just kind of so simple and so not extremely deep. Like I said, the friendships between them, it, it does seem a little plug and play. Like besides the main characters, I had a hard time keeping track of them, even though they were so distinct, even though there was like a a cancer survivor who was missing a leg and like a an Asian woman who had been adopted by Texans. So even with those details, like, 
the girls themselves seemed like they were pretty indistinguishable. But at the same time, I suspected I knew what was at the heart of this mystery with the with a friend who has come back and what their relationship is going to be like. So it was just enough to keep me sucked in and turning pages it was easy to read. It was not like I had to think a whole lot. And I think what it did was just kind of establish the habit of the muscle memory being immersed in a story, right? Yeah. The muscle memory being immersed in a story, turning pages and even just setting aside a t- Oh, I need to get back to my mm-hmm. book. So once I finished reading that, which is great for what it did. Uh, I think that she tried to have a, an overarching message, I guess I'll say, about about how hard it can be to let go of friendships and when you should really, when is a moment in your life, like at what point does a friendship no longer serve you and when you need to let it go and how hard it is to let go through this kind of horror metaphor. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> so after that, I was able to turn my attention to The Other Bennett Sister by oh, Janice Hadlow. Uh, um, I have mixed feelings about this. First, I feel like it was one of those books, and I feel like you run into this with Pride and Prejudice retellings when they are not about Elizabeth. I feel like anytime a Pride and Prejudice retelling is about a sister, they always define her against Elizabeth and it's usually to Elizabeth's detriment. Like, I guess the story here is that, you know, of course Mary has always been Elizabeth in her shadow and how she felt about that, how she felt slighted. So I just, in a way, I feel like the books that are about the other sisters kind of always make Elizabeth seem to be, a little bit more of a mean girl than I think that she is in the book. And I guess my criticism too would be that the first 150 pages, it, it, it was too much of a retelling of Pride and Prejudice. It was like just going through the exact same things, but going through also the reasons that Mary was sulking in the corner or how Mary was misunderstood. So I thought it followed it a little bit too closely for too long to mm-hmm. the point of me being a little bit bored with it. The second half is is when, you know, Elizabeth gets married and she moves off and and then Mary kind of has to find her place among her sisters. You know, three of her sisters are married and then, then I think they also have who's the other sister? Charlotte? Uh, Kitty and Charlotte? Lydia? Oh, Kitty. Charlotte's the friend, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Charlotte's the, the friend, friend and she actually plays a pretty she has a pretty meaty role in all of this because they kind of compare her situation to Mary's, like both of them kind of being not as attractive or not finding it as easy to have to find a husband and just kind of like what happens in their relationship. So, but the second part of the book, Mary kind of gets off and she gets to go to London. She, you know, she goes to live with the gardeners and she's introduced to to society and she has some romance. I feel like that part was a little bit more interesting because while it's set in that world, she had her own story and it wasn't such a, you know, a strict retelling where they're maligning mm-hmm. Lizzie. <laughs> so, but 
there were some good, you know, I don't know if I would say run out and read this. It was definitely, I mean, it was 500 pages long. So some of it was just me like getting through some of it. So it was, a, it was a little bit uneven. Okay. I have to say that I'm, I'll say that I've been, I, your discussion of it actually has made me want to read it more. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I was in, I, we talked about this book before we went on the break and well yeah because we were just like oh it's going to be so long and who's going to be the one to yes, bite the bullet to yes. read it i don't know that sounds good and it's kind of interesting that it was i think it was i think this in particular was just far enough removed from racial unrest on the one hand you know i was just like all of these worlds that we read about that are so white there have always been brown and black people who you know were living in some capacity in the world. So it's like reading about reading about erasure, like all of these books basically erase any other contribution to life. So on the one hand, I was noticing that, but on the other hand, it was like a world that was almost comforting enough and just far enough removed from pandemic that I was able to overlook that a little yep. bit. But I feel like more and more, I'm just less tolerant more eye rolling and just less comfortable with books that just no one exists but white people because that's just not the yeah. world. Yeah, it makes sense. And so then, but after I, I made it through that one, then there were a bunch of other books that I wanted to read that I started to get to. So I have read The Beauty of Your Face by Sahar Ooh, Mustafa. I want to read that. How is it? Hold on a minute. There's another one that I get this confused with, so I have to make sure that this is the one. Oh, yeah, I really like this one. So this is about a Palestinian-American woman. Where does she grow up? I think she grows up in Illinois, and she ends up teaching She ends up teaching a school for young Muslim or teenagers, high school Muslim women, when there is a shooter who is loose in the school. And so it goes back and forth between her upbringing in Illinois, how she decides to be a teacher, who she married and how she comes to be running the school with what is happening on the final day as the shooter makes his way through the school. So she's kind of thinking of her life as she's, as she's being confronted with this violent act and just how her family grew up there, how they were accepted or not accepted by the community. I think her sister goes missing when she's young. So there's this hole that has been created in her family. Like she's never felt like she was her mother's favorite. Her mother's favorite is the sister that goes missing. And so it was really good. I really like that. I think I brought that book up in one of our previews, spring book preview, maybe earlier this year. So I'm glad to hear that you liked it. Yeah, I definitely uh, recommend that, you know, because it is a lot about how, just how her the shooter is someone who is radicalized and has has a problem with there being a Muslim school, but it's also kind of about how she's able to fit in, like how her her parents and how she's viewed in this community, and I guess the detrimental aspects that it has to grow up in a place where the culture is different, where you're looked upon as an outsider, and just how does that affect your view of yourself? You know who you get to date who you're exposed to when you, when you don't, you know, like when you have such a different culture at home, but you're not really accepted at school, 
So she touched on a lot of issues, just um, the interactions that the community has with the police. Just lots of things felt very, very familiar, uh, you know, across, I think, experiences that people of color have. Mm -hmm. So that was really good. What else did I read? I read this book. I think it's called Saint Eva. Ooh, that's on my list. How is it? I'll say it. Yeah, I really like that one as well. It was it's kind of an interesting exploration about I guess it's a re- it's about motherhood plays a big part, a big role in it, I'll say. It is about this woman and her husband who she is in touch with friends that she has lost touch with and they they invite her up to visit the home where they are living and she and her husband decide to go there because they've recently been mugged in the park and you know there's some issues around their daughter that are not clear until they go on this trip and she's reunited with this friend that she's lost touch with who's just had a baby like the fact that she's had a baby prompted her to reach out and kind of rekindle the relationship. And they just have this really strange weekend in terms of just where they are different, different in their lives, socially, how they view motherhood. You know, one is becoming a mother late in the game. The other one is becoming clear that there's some serious problems in her relationship with her probably like 20 year old daughter. So it's really good. I think that, you know, when I was thinking about reading this book, it just had that kind of haunted house gothic element. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely, I think, some just a little bit of that menace and tension because, you know, they are up in the woods with people they haven't seen in a long time and just the tensions in those relationships because there's some assumptions between them that have been made. So things are not entirely comfortable. Um, They go hiking in the woods and there are some uncomfortable situations there. So it's filled with menace, but it's also unexpected. I would say not straightforward and physical so much as emotional. And, you know, what face do you put on for your friends? How honest are you really being about what's going on in your life? So I really like that one by Joanna Hershon. So if these are on your list, Gail, you've got some yeah, good ones. Yeah, they are ones. on my list. You and I, it's funny, we haven't talked in a while about books anyway, and we're still gravitating towards a lot of the same stuff that makes me happy. Yeah, some of, a lot of the stuff I do think that we had kind of, these were books that I had ordered because we had we had talked about them and I was really interested mm-hmm in reading them. And I feel like a lot of the things I've read have, have been very diverse in terms of their settings and in terms of the authors. Cause the other thing I read was, so there's the beauty of your face. And, and I was getting it, making sure I had that clear because I also read if I had, is that the face. one in South Korea? Oh, I want yes. to read that too. <laughs> <laughs> By Francis Cha. So I read that one and, um, I liked it. It was enjoyable in terms of just showing this culture in Korea, which I wasn't familiar with. And one of the things that was really interesting to read about was they have these, 
I forget what they call them, but they're like these mixed use apartment buildings. Like they have, um, I think they have kind of stores fronts in them, like little businesses, but then they also have apartments that are for rent. And it just made me think, you know, is this going to be our future in New York? If not everyone, (laughs) if not everyone goes back to work in an office building, are they going to have to like convert them into multi-use apartments and businesses are going to be in the same building? So that was interesting to read. But this was about a bunch of young women who come together and they live in one of these developments and how their lives interact with with each other. One, one works in a hair salon. I think one works in a nail salon, but she really wants to start working in one of these salons where, where women entertain businessmen, like they pour them drinks. Um, and it's called working at a room salon. Like you want to be a room salon girl. And a lot of emphasis is placed on physical attributes and how your face can actually determine determine your life. So these women are very invested in one is saving up to have a surgery, you know, like the, they talk about the double eyelid surgery and other things that you can do to your chin and your cheeks and, and how this plays such a, a role in what your future will be. One of the women is kind of unhappily married. She lives below them, but they all have all of these things going on. A couple of them are from the same town. So you really get to know them. I feel like to get to know them a little bit more deeply, their relationships I felt like were not as deep as I would have liked them to to have been. And I feel like one of the connect one of the connections with one of the women, her story didn't blend as well as the other. But I still I think that that was my thought towards the end of the book, but I feel like it definitely kept me turning the pages just to see just to see this different society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely on my list. I read a few other books that I wanted to make sure that I talked about with you. I may have mentioned them in some of okay. the shows that I did while you were out, but I, I, I'm not sure I did. So um, one is I wanted to tell you that I read Sing Unburied Sing, which you had so highly recommended, um, especially the audio. How did you read it? Oh, I you, did, did it mostly it on, audio? on audio. I think that, um, by the end, I just was really wanting to know what happened. So I may, I may have so flipped back flipping the pages. To the print. I had them both. Um, the audio was beautiful. As you said, it was beautifully performed. And um, I really, really liked it. And this is the first Jessamine Ward book that I've actually read. I've got several on the shelf, but I haven't gotten to them. And I really liked that. And it's a, I, I will be interested when you finish The Vanishing Half, because I think there are are some similarities between the books, but I liked, ended up liking Sing Unburied Sing better. And I think, I, I don't know. I think that she, I think that the, like the sort of the, the construction of the book and the plot, I, I thought was more masterful in Sing Unburied Sing than it was in Vanishing Half. But anyway, I really liked that. And you had so highly recommended that. And it, that had become from Ron Charles on our podcast, talking about his wife, listening to the audiobook. So full circle, I finished it. So I just wanted to tell you that. And that's probably one of my top reads of the year. Um, yeah, I think that hands down, um, I read that this year as well. So I think that would probably, so far, nothing has managed to touch yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think that may be right. I had made a list of the books that 
were my top for the year. And that was definitely like a shoe in. <laughs> I don't think there was anything that came close. I mean, yeah. yeah, I like what you said. And I think my key takeaway with that book was, I think that a lot of the people, and not just in terms of race, but in terms of who they are as people, like Leone is struggling with her drug addiction. The family is very poor. I just love how she writes about this family. And I just had so much empathy for everyone mm-hmm. because I feel like, especially in fiction, I just don't feel like we hear enough about different, uh, um, I don't feel like I, I see enough of diversity of experience in fiction. And I don't just mean race, but I also mean like by class and, yeah. and families that, you know, like who are working class. I think that's something that we have, touched upon on the podcast before and and definitely when you hear or when you see these characters in books I don't know that you get such a full picture but I just feel like she took a family and of course this family is as American or as worthy as anyone else but she just described their plight with so much empathy and I feel like Leone is a character that it is easy to to dismiss her. You know, she's someone who prioritizes her man over her children. She's not the the most attentive mother, but just, you know, I felt for her, like I felt for her Mm -hmm. so much. And I feel like with everything that was going on in that book, like what is revealed, you know, it's in Mississippi Parchman prison, which is a notoriously brutal prison is is featured predominantly in the story like there's drug use um there's a little bit of of uh supernatural in it i guess the religious right the supernatural the religious practices of the family there's a lot going on and there is you know there i i felt for her son you know her children just everyone yeah But I thought it was just like really interesting, the empathy and the, you know, what she created and how Leone's choices were so, I don't know, just rooted, rooted in, in how torn she was as a person, I guess I'll say. Um, I felt like she didn't set out to write a book. It wasn't like, okay, now I'm going to write a book um, from a poor perspective. It was like she told an engrossing no. family story and that's who happened to be the characters. Like I, like I, like I, like I liked that a lot about it. Like it wasn't, it, it wasn't like she was, I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say. Like she, but I think it's like the best writers mm-hmm. who do that. Like when you think about Tyari Jones's, when you think about an American marriage, how many issues it touched upon, like books that could easily be issues right. books. But they are not just because you're just so torn. Like it could have been about drug addiction or poverty or racism in Mississippi. But or parchment, almost the way like Nickel Boys was about the institution. This book was not about the institution. Right. The institution played a big role and it was very illuminating and important, but it it didn't take over the book. Right. It was just like being a fly on the wall. Of this family. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I yeah, that was really good. I've also been on this weird nonfiction kick, lots of memoirs. And I read a book that I think 
maybe we've talked about on the show before this book called home is burning about this guy he's in his 20s and he has to return and live at home in utah because his father has been diagnosed with als and his mom has cancer and the family's just like imploding because of what's going on with their parents' health and they all have to move home and take care of him. And it sounds just brutally depressing and it's, it is very sad and depressing, but it's also very funny. He's like a very funny narrator and he's very irreverent and it's full of sex and cursing and, you know, raunchy stuff. And it's, I don't know, to take such a sad topic and give it some kind of humanity and, you know, to show that like, you know, even in the worst of these circumstances, this family was able to find humor and strength in each other, even while like the shittiest thing possible is going on. So um, that, I, you know, again, not sure why I picked that up in the middle of a pandemic, but I did. And I did that one on audio is narrated by right. the author and it was really good. Um, and a book I just wanted to mention because I think we may be able to get um, the author of this book on, to come on the show is a book called tea by the sea. I participated in a blog tour. It's by Donna Hemans and it is about um, a couple in Jamaica and it's a young woman. She's like a, basically a teenager. She's like 19 and she's grown up in Brooklyn and her parents have decided they want her to go to Jamaica where her fit where they are from where her family is living or extended family to finish out high school because they don't want her to sort of deal with like the distractions of an urban school system in America. They want her to like get, you know, not be tempted to do bad things and, you know, be around boys. So they send her to Jamaica. Of course she ends up having a relationship with one of her teachers and she gets pregnant and she has the baby. And the day that the baby is born, the teacher with whom she is romantically involved and they're expecting to, you know, get married and live together. He decides to take the baby away and disappear. And so she spends the next, yeah, she spends the next sort of 20 years of her life searching for him and her daughter who she lost on her daughter's birthday, the day day of her birth. Wait, is this fiction? It's fiction. Yeah, it's fiction. And he, um, and, but you see his perspective, you understand why he did it and what he does with his life after that and how he raises her. And it's sort of about this search that she's had for him ever since. And then, you know, are they going to, is she going to finally find him? And how will that confrontation and that re, you know, reestablishment of her relationship with her daughter happen? Cause she ends up moving back to the U S and moves back to New York. Um, and it was really good. It was very engrossing. I liked, you know, it, like you were talking about sort of trying some different settings, you know, half of it takes place in Jamaica, half of it takes place in Brooklyn. And, um, you know, just really understanding the, the, the motivations of both of these characters and, you know, what he did was a horrible thing, but you sort of, you know, you under, you get to understand why he did it doesn't excuse it, but at least you can sort of see what his thinking was and what kind of a flawed person he was. So I really liked that. And I think we're going to hopefully have the chance to interview her on the show, have her come on as a guest on the show. So now that you're back, we can schedule that and, um, and talk to her. I'd love to just talk to her about, you know, how she came up with it and more about that book, but I really like that one. So I wanted to make sure that I gave it some airtime. Yeah, that sounds good. I want to read that. The one last book that I will mention that I read 
was Deacon King Kong by James McBride. I really enjoyed that. He's a little bit, he's a little bit of a long winded author, but this book was so good. Uh, it's set in Brooklyn. It is about this community who does not speak out and say anything when one of their members shoots, um, their local drug dealer. So it's told from a bunch of different perspectives. I think it's set in the late, you know, early 1960s. And so the characters are, are so diverse. It's, you know, not only is it the people who live in this housing project, but it also talks in terms of the community of like the church going community. And then some of the Italian and Irish immigrants who live on its border and how they all react to the shooting and, you know, how it affects their different lives and businesses. So it it was, it's a really good read. I think it's like Oprah's, it's going to be Oprah's um, book club pick. Yeah. So it's going to be, uh, I think Oprah's going to be discussing it. So I'll be curious to see this discussion, but I read it with a friend of mine who sadly isn't in New York at the moment. I'm hoping that she comes back because just with people working from home for so long, you know, like lots of my friends have, they were sort of at the end of their leases, have kind of given up their leases oh, and reloaded, that's so relocated. Sad. That's so sad. Yeah. You know, and I, I feel like New York for the next little bit, for the next year, I mean, the things that make New York, New York are closed. Yep. So, yep. you know, kind of the restaurants are kind of limping along with their outdoor seating, but, you know, no bars, no clubs. Yep. No uh, theaters. Oh, so sad what's happened in New York. You know, no Met, no art museums. I mean, just like, just everything that you would, that, you know, that you use to justify Mm -hmm. paying. Right. Everything that makes you worthwhile. (sighs) Right. So, yeah, so that's a thing. So, anyway, we read that together, really enjoyed it, and I will probably try to check out the book club on it when it comes mm-hmm. out. A book I wanted to say that also helped me get, get through the pandemic was I did read Normal People. Um, I didn't like her mm. first book, Conversations with Friends, but I you know, had heard that the show on Hulu was really good. So I said, all right, I'm going to just read it before I watch the show. And I ended up loving the book. And I ended up loving the show. Mm. Just absolutely loving it. So have, had you read Normal People? Yes, I did. Okay. And did you watch the Hulu show? I watched the first episode. It looks like it's really well done and really close to yeah, beautiful the dynamics perfect. of the relationships yes. of the, the book. book. Yeah. I really liked it. I found that I could go upstairs and watch it on my laptop. It was a nice escape for me. Like I would just be like, oh, I think I'm going to go upstairs. And I'm like, I'm going to go watch an episode of Normal People. Because... <laughs> There's tons of sex in it. So I didn't really want to watch it around my kids. And right. I just wanted it to be, yeah, I wanted this to be like Gale time. Like I'm going to just, you know, go up and, and immerse myself in it. And, you know, I love literary adaptations and I just thought the acting was superb and the music is great and the wardrobe is great. Everything about it is great. So that was definitely a good pandemic thing for me. Um, I also read um, Rodham the Curtis Sittenfeld book about Hillary, which was, which was entertaining. It was good. I, it, it like in the end, um, 
I feel like Curtis Sittenfeld's books are a lot about, they just kind of like, they're like prep. They're like about high school. They're sort of about, you know, um, having crushes. And like, I was kind of hoping that this one would feel a lot deeper because it was about this intellectual firepower and her political ambitions. And yet it still kind of revolved around about a boy, about a boy. Right. And, um, so it was, it was a good re I did it on audio. It was, it kept me entertained. Like I can tell when I'm into an audio, if I take it into the shower with me and that one came into the shower with me and I went for walks and listened to it. But in the end, like it just was kind of, it was, it was light, you know, it was, yeah, it was I felt like I didn't version. want to read that one. I don't, I mean, I guess I am probably not as much of a devotee of Curtis Sittenfeld as you are. I think I read mm-hmm. prep. You know, which I read eligible and I read eligible. I don't know that I've managed to read anything else by her. Did you read American wife? I didn't read American wife. I think I was put off by how long that was. Yeah. I was scared. That's my favorite of hers. And I know it is long, but it, it goes fast. Um, that's my favorite. And was that one, do you think that one had more heft than Rodham ended up yes, having? Yes, it did. It was like, she's, I don't know, in some ways, maybe because she was dealing with a more private person in Laura Bush than in Hillary. Um, and that, of course, does revolve around a relationship because it's about her relationship with George. But I don't know. That one felt a lot more, it, it dug a lot deeper for me than Rodham did. Mm-hmm. I liked it much better. Um, maybe because with Hillary, you know, you spend the entire book sort of wondering, oh, is this how Hillary really felt? Is this, you know, is this what Bill is really like? Is this realistic? Is this how things would have played out if things had been different? And I know that this probably is not true at all, but I think as I was reading the description of the book, I just felt like it was going to be, take me too much in the space of where... Meg Wolitzer's last book took me like um, the female persuasion. Mm. Like they might not no. be the the same book, I, but I I just think in terms of that book having such a strong feminist character, and you know the younger woman who is looking at her as an idol and becoming disillusioned. Well, like yeah, like I said, they probably probably not the same, but. I yeah. don't know. For some reason, Rodham didn't seem very like it would be I, distinct enough, I guess. Well, the ways in which they're similar is uh, or are that Rodham definitely talks a lot about double standards and about you know things that Hillary could not get away with that her male, either her rivals, like you know people she was running against could get away with or that Bill could get away with or things like that, you know, so there's a lot of discussion about that, just sort of like the challenges you have growing up or just making your way professionally as a woman. I think, you know, you don't have the mentor mentee thing going on in Rodham and you, it it focuses so much on her that um, I think, I'm trying to think which one of those I liked better. I don't know. They're, I don't think they're, they felt pretty different for me just in terms of what they were trying to accomplish. Um, I can see where you, you know, where your mind would put those together. 
Um, I wouldn't let that scare you off. From, I wouldn't let that be the reason that would scare you off from Robin. There seems like there's plenty of other reasons that would. I, I don't think that fear that it would be too similar to the other one. Yeah, I don't know if Rodham is just too soon right now, like after her Mm. biography, after after everything that's happened. Yeah. uh, Just where everything is politically right now. I just think it's just too soon for me to be back with Hillary. I just I almost feel like that needed more space for her to write that book. Yeah. (laughs) Having read nothing, having, you know, not read a page or anything. I just don't feel like I'm ready for that. And what's ironic is I think it was supposed to come out a lot earlier, but she's, she found that the, doing the research took so much time that it mm-hmm. got, the pub date kept getting pushed. So that's fine. That's funny. It should have been out like two years ago. Right. I'm so just like, you missed, soon. you missed your moment. <laughs> yeah. There's also a treatment of Donald Trump in there and it's, um, the Donald Trump resolution in the book is very different from the Donald Trump resolution in reality. And so in some ways it's almost like that. Talk about missing your moment. Like he, we are too far down the path with him to be able to look back on it and laugh at a different version of him. You know what I mean? Like we're the reality of what we have with him is so awful compared to the character he plays in the book. He's the same character in the book. He's just not given the opportunities that he has been given in real life. So I just can't even with, with when I think about him, uh, when I think about Kanye running, I'm just like, Oh God, no, no, (laughs) I know (laughs) enough with the celebrities. I know, I know, I know, I know. You know, like, I, know. I mean, I'm very skeptical of the reasons that Kanye is choosing to to announce his candidacy at this time. You know, like, to me, I just go through, let's not, let's not split this vote here. You know, like, right, right. It, it, as I look at Biden with a very jaundiced eye, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not thrilled about Biden, but I definitely don't want uh, people, whoever to get into their heads. Cause I see with politics, you just never know what people are going to take it into their heads to validate, but like nobody get it into their head that Kanye is a viable choice. Right. You don't need that, a spoiler. Right. That should yeah. get a vote. Like yeah. I'm, I'm waiting. Cause I know the green party is going to be announcing their candidate. And I'm just kind of like, please. Oh, boy. <laughs> Oh been through enough like right 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 just don't no more diversion no more yeah. and as i was telling you before the show that i wish that i was feeling like i feel for everything that this country has been through like all the divisions that he's promoted like all of the i feel like race baiting and the handling of the coronavirus the fact that we're all split on science and best practices, you know, in terms of inhibiting a disease, just like, I just don't feel confident enough that this is not going to continue for another four years. You know, like, I just feel like I should be feeling better about this right now. And just whenever I look at the news or I hear anything or even the polls, you know, uh, I hope that everyone's being smarter about things it, just in terms of what's happened with Hillary. Like I was reading something the other day about how, you know, more Republicans are being 
are registering to vote right about now. And that's not to say that, you know, if you are a Republican, that Trump is going to be your choice for this next election. But I just feel like I want, I want to feel a little bit more hopeful about the state of this country. And I just don't feel that right now. Like I don't feel, I don't know. I'm just very skeptical. Like, and And the holding, holding, scary, holding both, trying to hold both spaces in terms of being rational and giving people the opportunity to change while at the same time, just like, you know, we just have to see, like, if it's going to be my positive thinking, that's going to, you know, be the difference. I just don't have it right now. Right. I hear you. The voter suppression stuff is really scaring me. And just also the fact that we are approaching November with very little in the way of mail in in and, you know, just the, the possibility for controversy and suppression and tampering and invalidation that can go on with that. So that if we were sort of approaching this as a normal election, I think the poll numbers would carry more weight right now, but there's so much wild card stuff going on right now. So it's, yeah, it's scary. All right. Well, on that positive note, um, (laughs) I'm thrilled to have you back. I'm really glad to catch up. And um, I also want to thank people who have been waiting patiently for Nicole's return and people who wrote and wanted to make sure that you were okay. And so thank you for our listeners who have been patient and are sticking with us. Um, So I think we haven't really discussed this. I think Nicole and I will try to get back on some regular schedule. I don't think either one of us feels terribly comfortable committing to a specific frequency at this point, just because our lives are so crazy with work and home and everything, but we will definitely get back into regular recording and catching up and we're both reading more. So that's good. And we'll get some good guests on the show. So, um, you know, we want to hear how everyone is doing and are grateful for the chance to share our pandemic reading with you. And I want to echo what Gail said, because I didn't check my, uh, (laughs) haven't checked my mailbox regularly, but I just started going through it and I see that some people have written in and I will definitely get back to you, but thank you guys for checking in on me and saying hello and just sharing your tips for how you're getting through your pandemic reading or letting me know what it is that you've been reading. So those are nice to come back to. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. All right. Well, um, this has been a nice, long, meaty show, and um, we look forward (laughs) to recording our next one. And until then, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thanks.